Now, our scripture reading is taken from Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Let's hear the word of God. Psalm 42. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Think of these words. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Misar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemy reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, yesterday is best known as Armistice Day. Armistice Day, young people, always falls on the 11th day of the 11th month each year. Why? Well, that day marked the end of World War I. World War I was also known as the Great War. The Great War was 1914 to 1918. And yesterday... Tens of thousands gathered at their local war memorial at the Cenotaph at 11 a.m. and stood in silence for about two minutes in an act of remembrance. You see, that act of remembrance is to remember the hour that the guns fell silent. On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918 marked the end of World War I. It was at that moment that the guns fell silent. We also stood to remember the dead. You see, by the end of the war, it is estimated that there were about 20 million dead and 21 million wounded. 
The total number of deaths included 9.7 million military personnel and about 10 million civilians. The Allies, including the United Kingdom, lost 5.7 million soldiers in World War I, while their opponents lost about 4 million. Now, the Great War, we were told, was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. A forlorn hope. A mere pipe dream. Pie-in-the-sky stuff. For in 21 years, the whole world was plunged again into World War II. And World War II was a far more deadly and bloody conflict. You see, from 1939, at the start of the outbreak of World War II, until the end of the war in June 1945, listen to this, some 75 million people had died. This included about 20 million military personnel and some 40 million civilians, many of whom died because of deliberate genocide. Massacres, mass bombings, disease, starvation. I want to say this morning from this pulpit that war is a terrible thing. War is the scourge of any society and country. And yet there's times when war is necessary. Whenever evil, tyrannical dictators arise to take away our basic freedom, to take away our free civil and religious liberty, to take away our right to freedom of expression and freedom of conscience and even freedom of press. Whenever these evil, wicked, tyrannical dictators arise to destroy our way of life and enslave us, they have to be opposed. They have to be defeated. Let's understand this morning there's such a thing as a just war, even in the eyes of God, according to the Bible. And yet even in a just war, let's face up to this reality, soldiers will die. I want to tell you something else, civilians will die. And no matter how best one tries to minimize the civilian death toll, terrorists, Enemies of the good will always use civilians as human shields. They'll hide in their homes. They'll use their hospitals. They'll use their schools and universities. They'll set up their military base within such facilities or nearby. And once they do, you can be sure of one thing, the death toll will rise. And when the death toll rises, then we'll, they'll, they'll say, look what they're doing. They're bombing our civilian people. Today is best known as Remembrance Sunday. You see, November the 11th declined as the date of commemoration of the war dead since World War II ended. And the main event of Remembrance now falls on Remembrance Sunday. That's why we have Armistice Day and then Remembrance Sunday. And today you and I have stood in solidarity with millions around the Commonwealth and we have observed a two-minute silence. We have thanked the Lord for the end of the war. We have thanked the Lord for the sacrifice of the brave men and women of our armed forces, the British Army. 
the Royal Air Force, the Royal Navy, the Merchant Navy. We have thought of all who have fought and died to preserve our free civil and religious liberty. Don't ever take that liberty for granted. Remember, true freedom is never cheap. It always comes at a cost, a great cost, a cost of sacrifice. Think of the 20 million dead, 21 million wounded in World War I. Think of 75 million dead in World War II. And if World War III breaks out, it'll even be a greater number. We also think today our own conflict here in Northern Ireland. I think of the bravery of the men who donned the uniform of the Royal Ulster Constabulary. Men who proudly wore the Ulster Defence Regiment uniform and badge. Members of the British Army. Innocent civilians that were shot and murdered, blown to bits by the hands of terrorists here in this province. Do you know that 3,720 deaths are recorded? And I want to tell you, it's right and proper, we remember them. And we will remember them as the Lord helps us. Now, the Bible has loads to say about remembrance. I've already told you there's some 210 references to the word remember in the Bible. The first reference is Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, and God remembered Noah. That's a tremendous text. The last reference is Revelation chapter 18 and verse 5, speaking of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And it says this, God hath remembered her iniquities. We could add in another 51 references to the word remembrance. That makes 261. So the Bible has a lot to say about remember and remembrance. I have chosen today deliberately two texts of Scripture. Psalm 42, it says in verse 4, When I remember these things, I poured out my soul in me. And then if we come to verse 6, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. Psalm 42, verses 4 and 6. Notice the use of the word remember in verse 4. When I remember these things. And then in verse 6, Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. You see, the majority of Bible scholars believe that King David was the author of Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. There's a hint in the title of the sons of Korah. They were a group of Levites in charge of the temple worship to whom this psalm was presented to be sung. What we know is this. The author finds himself in exile. He's far from Jerusalem. He can't actively engage in the worship of the festivals of God's people. He was in the depth of trial and trouble. You could even say at this point in his life, the psalmist was mentally depressed. He was in despair. Listen to what he says. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? He was being taunted by the enemies. What were they saying to him? Where is thy God? Verse 3, my tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? He repeated it. Verse 10, as with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? And this persecution, this opposition plunged the psalmist even into a deeper state of deep depression. 
But the wonderful thing is this. He doesn't wallow in a state of depression. He doesn't stay in the midst of his despairing state. He picks himself up. He, he, by the grace of God, takes stock of his situation. He confronts his depression. He seeks God for help and comfort. And I want to say this morning in this Remembrance Sunday, if you're here in the house of God or listen to me online, and you're in trial and trouble this morning, if you're in the depths of depression, Maybe you're suffering mental anguish. Maybe you're at the point of despair and you're saying, I can't go on. I'm even despairing of life, Pastor. And there's many like them in society. Then I want you to rouse yourself to seek God. To seek God as your help. To seek God as your hope. No matter what your circumstances are. Let's think about this particular theme this morning. And the theme is simply this. The remembrance of the Redeemer's recourse and recollection. Three things very quickly. One, the conditions that David experienced. He said, when I remember these things. Now, what things? He's doing a contrast between what he enjoyed before and what he's experiencing now. And what he's experiencing now is David is facing a period of trials and troubles in his life. And he feels in his heart and mind that God has forgotten him. And he feels that nobody cares. Now, whether he's in the cave of Adullam or in Engedi, we don't know. But I do know this, that King Saul has got 3,000 soldiers out hunting for David. They want him dead. The order is, put him to death. What crime has he committed? None. Why has he been hated? Why has he been hunted? No other cause but jealousy and envy in the heart and mind of King Saul. So King David's afraid. King David's disturbed. He's upset. He's alone. There's none to help. He sees no way out. He's faint-hearted. His his spirit is overwhelmed. He, He feels, I can't go on. See, I want you to get the picture. Here's the conditions that David experienced. David's in trouble. David feels trapped. David has been taunted by the enemy. Where is thy God? And they're doing it every day. He says in verse 10, daily, they're saying this. It's continuous. Now, let me ask the question. Is that the way you feel this morning? Are you like David in trouble listening to me? Do you feel trapped by a situation or circumstance? Do you hear the taunt in your head? Where is your God? See, let me ask this question. Who really cares about you in your trouble, your trapment, and these taunts? I remember um, Dr. Ron Johnson, when he lectured in the Bible College, whenever I was there, he made this quotation, and we remember writing it down. He encouraged us to write it down. I quote, Generally, people don't care how much you know that is about theology and doctrine and about the Bible until they see how much you care. And there's a lot of door-to-door evangelism that goes on, and that's right, street preaching that goes on, and I have no problem with that, and open-air preaching, but a lot of it, of course, results in opposition, clear off. They're, 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 They're antagonistic. But once they begin to see that the church and the Christian not only sees and senses 
that these people really care about me, then their attitude and their mindset really begins to change. Someone has asked the question, what is wrong in the United Kingdom today? What's wrong with its people? And I'll answer it. This is what's wrong in the United Kingdom. This is what's wrong in our wee province. The vast majority of people, this is their answer. I don't know and I don't care. I don't know and I don't care. We have people in society with loads of problems. Their troubles abound. Many feel trapped. And they are trapped to a life of drugs and drink and pornography and so many other sins. And they see no way out. But I want to ask, do they know that we in Carrie Duff FPC know about that? And do we really care? Do we really care about the drug culture? Do we really care about the drink problem? Do we really care about the explosion of pornography, the domestic violence? I was in Dungallon yesterday at a conference very long conference, and that's why I don't feel so well today. Maybe sound a wee bit hoarse, look a bit rough, I'm sorry. 3,200 domestic abuse calls yes, or last year recorded by the PSNI. And we were told that those calls are only after recorded after a period of some 40 times of abuse be meted out in different homes and the vast majority of them comes around Christmas time and New Year's Eve. Many of our people have no thought or fear of God. Many do not attend church. And the church of Jesus Christ, here's the question, do they know? Do we really care? Uh, Dr. Johnson went on to uh, talk one time of what he called the bystander effect. Uh, or the Guinevere effect. Do you know that in 1964, in New York, at 3 a.m. one particular day in March, a 28-year-old lady was arriving home 3 a.m. in the morning. She's coming from work. Lady Catherine Guinevere. And this particular lady was parking her car. She was attacked by an unknown assailant. He grabbed hold of her and started to stab her. And, of course, he was shouting, help, help, help. There were some curtains pulled back. There was one man opened his window, and he roared down, let that woman alone. The assailant ran off, but, but he came back. Some neighbors phoned the police. When the police arrived, they came about two minutes later after the phone call, and they discovered that that attack had gone on for 35 minutes. The lady had died. People had heard the commotion from their own houses. People had heard the cries for help. But when asked by the police why they allowed it to continue, they said, well, we didn't want to get involved. We thought it was a lover's squabble. But the woman died. Well, we thought it was someone else's problem. We, we thought someone else would get involved, someone with more expertise, someone stronger than us. Isn't that terrible? The bystander effect. Nobody responded to the cries for help. You see, nobody cares. And that's exactly how David felt. Nobody cares for me. Now, he was wrong. I want to tell you he was wrong. But that's the way he felt. 
And maybe that's the way you feel. I'm in trouble. I feel trapped. I'm being taunted uh, by this question. Where is your God? So I ask again a question. Is that how you feel today? Be honest enough to say, I'm depressed because of my situation. I am in despair because of the situation that I find in life. A mental health expert was giving a talk one time to a bunch of medical and university students. So he asked the class of students on the subject of depression. This is what he said. How would you describe a person who walks back and forth, screaming at the top of his lungs one minute, and then runs to sit in a chair, buries his head in his hands, and weeps uncontrollably in the next minute? He was waiting for an answer. One student, a bright student, put his hand up. He had the answer, so he was asked to reply, and this is what he said. A basketball coach, sir. And of course, there was laughter. But the mental health expert went on to say, but depression's real. Despair is real. It could be mild, but it could be manic. And it affects millions. And so I'm asking the question, are you one of them? Do you know that depression is a real problem? Do you know that despair is a real problem? Do you know that depression is called the common cold of mental illness? So I press it home. Is there a man? Is there a woman? Is there a young person in trouble this morning? Feeling trapped by their situation? Being taunted in their head? Where is your God? There's no hope. There's none to help. You're alone. You feel faint-hearted. You're weary of circumstances. That's the condition that David experienced in this psalm. Very quickly and secondly, the comfort that David enlisted. He said twice, when I remember these things. The word remember means to recall to mind. He says in verse 6, Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. He's he's speaking to God in prayer. We'll get to that in a moment. I want you to think of the steps that David took uh, to, to, to comfort himself. Here's the comfort that he enlisted. First of all, there was an admission of need. You see, the first step in conquering your depressed state or your state of despair is to admit it. David admits it to himself. He admits it to God in prayer. Listen to verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? See, he's talking to himself. He's having what we call in English a soliloquy. Why art thou disquieted with me? Hope thou in God. He says in verse 6, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. So he tells God. Do, Do you see the contrast there? Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. Look at verse 11. Same thing. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I will yet praise him. And again in verse 5 of the next chapter, exactly the same words. Three times he talks to himself and he admits that he has a problem. There's an admission of his need. He not only tells it to himself three times, but he admits it to God. I'm cast down. I'm, I'm disquieted. The word disquieted means to be bowed low. And maybe you're bowed low by circumstances and situations in life this morning. The the, the real meaning is to be in the pits. You see, it affected him. We we could talk about how he felt this morning in the sense that he mentions his countenance. He looked sad. 
He felt down. He had the loss of appetite. There was frequent crying. He said, my tears have been my meat day and night. Can you get the sense of that? There's the pouring out of his soul. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. He's thinking of water being poured out of a jug. He feels emotionally drained. He feels he's in the depth, overwhelmed by waves. He says, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. In other words, he's completely overwhelmed. He felt totally overwhelmed by his circumstances. Where do you start to help yourself? Where does the healing start? It starts when you admit your need. It starts when you take stock of where you're at. Even the taunt of the enemy, he says in verse 10, as with a sword in my bones, mine enemy reproached me. In other words, he was wounded. He felt that. He was physically affected. And how many people who tell me that in the state of despair and depression, they've got eating disorders, they've headaches, they've chronic pain, and it's all accompanies that severe state of uh, depressed uh, mind. David acknowledges he's in a state of despair. Will you do that this morning? And not only is there admission of need, but there's an analysis of nature. Well, what is the cause? David asks this question, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He says in verse 11, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Verse 5 of Psalm 43, why art thou cast down, O my soul? You see, David is confronting himself. He's took the first step at admission of need. Here's an analysis now of, 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 of the nature of that. He's thinking of why. Why am I in this state? My car hasn't been working too well. And some of the warning lights in the car have come on betimes. And I know when the warning, I'm stupid about cars. But when the car warning light comes on, I know I've got a problem. And either it's the brakes or the steering problem or some other problem. And I know that if I keep on driving, which I've been doing... I'm ignoring the problem and I could end up doing a lot of damage and that's why my son came last night and fixed my car uh, because I, I had a steering problem and he came late at night and I appreciated that very much. But you know, depression, despair, feeling alone and abandoned and, and feeling even forsaken by God, it has causes. Let me just mention Depression and despair may be caused by uh, physiological issues. Think of the physical makeup of individuals. Maybe someone has what we call baby blues after having a baby. Uh, someone later in life going through what is commonly called uh, a change in the aging process, feeling exhausted, the menopause. Depression may be caused by spiritual problems. It could be caused by a spiritual problem because you've been on a high and then you've been brought into a spiritual low. And then you feel down and you feel alone. Well, you see, this is what David was thinking about very quickly. Are my circumstances due to sin? You see, there's no mention of sin here. David does feel confused. He feels abandoned by God as if God had rejected him, as if God had forsaken him. That wasn't true. God's presence was real. God's presence was there. But he just didn't sense and feel the presence of God at that time. He's taunted by his enemies. 
Where is thy God? In other words, I believe David has taken a stand against the enemies. He has testified and told the enemies about his God. And they're asking him in this dark place, where's your God now? They're throwing it back in his face. But circumstances and situations that lead to despair, acute depression, can be because of sin. And if you're aware of some sin in your life, some area of disobedience, you've sinned before the Lord, what do you do? Confess it. Turn from it. Go to God. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 7, cleanseth us from all sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does God want me to do anything to change my circumstances or lifestyle? Or am I shut up till God sovereignly acts? You see, oftentimes in despair, the Lord wants us to act, to get out of our situation. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. That's a necessity. David knows that. So he offers prayer. See, all he can do in this situation is pray fervently. It's a trusting prayer. Look, look what he says. He, 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 he says here in this particular um, uh, uh, psalm, he, he, he's telling us here, and my prayer unto the God of my life. You see, he has faith in God now. He has faith in the word of God. He knows that he has access to God in prayer. And it brings hope. It, it breeds hope in the soul. And maybe that's what you need to do. If you circumstances aren't due to sin, and you know that you're being um, dutiful and responsible, and you're taking the necessary steps uh, to 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 change your, your 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 situation, and you're looking to the Lord for help and hope, and you can pray fervently. See, David knew he must be positive in his attitude. David knew he could overcome by looking to the Lord. So he focuses in on the Lord. He remembers that God is sovereign. Here's the wilderness experience. God has sent this experience. God has brought it into my life. God has brought it about for my good. He has sent it to me. He sent the trial in love. You see, the wilderness is a big part of the, the pilgrimage of the people of God. Remember the Lord Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil. And uh, he was in all points made like... Uh, unto his brethren. And the wilderness is a terrible place, a place of pain, hardship, discomfort, despair. In the wilderness, he felt frustrated. In the wilderness, he felt frightened. In the wilderness, he felt fatigued. In the wilderness, he felt a failure. In the wilderness, he felt faithless until he turned to God. You and I can feel the same. And yet in the wilderness experience, because God is sovereign, you and I can experience his presence his power, his provision, his peace, his purpose. We are his children. We are his children. Are you his child this day? Do you know and love him as Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? I remember hearing the story, i tell you this very quickly, of a young boy who had a farming accident. Some sort of machine that he was working in, he got his hand cut off, and it was his right hand. And he was devastated because he thought, my career in farming is over. I'll not be able to do anything at all. And he went into a real state of depression. He didn't want to see anyone. He, he felt his life was useless. He felt his life, he might as well take his life because life's not worth living now. And this went on for days and weeks and he sat in his bedroom and wouldn't come. And mummy brought food, dinner, uh, breakfast, uh, evening meal, some snacks, but, but he wasn't really in the mood for eating. 
The minister came to see him, as ministers would, and he didn't want to see the minister. In fact, even when the minister came into the bedroom, he, he sat with his back to the minister and, and told the minister, Go away! I don't, don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see anybody. And his mum encouraged him after about 20 minutes, protesting, Please turn round. So he turned round to look at the minister with his back. Are you still here? I never got the sentence finished. There's the minister there, and he has no right arm at all. And he's there to minister the word of God to this boy. And that formed a beautiful relationship. And glory to God, that boy was eventually led to saving faith in Jesus Christ. The minister had lost his arm in the war. And he could relate to the boy, I know how you feel. I felt the same way. But I turned to the Lord. I trusted in him. I, I have a sense of worth and purpose. That's the comfort that David enlisted. Very quickly, our time is gone. I just want you to think of the counsel that David encouraged. If you look again at verse 6, he says, Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. Now you see, what David does is he seeks God himself. He's not just seeking a relief, but he's seeking a relationship. And you should seek a relationship with God from your state of despair and depression. The real need for David was God alone. Matthew Henry talks about casting out the anchor to ride out the storm. You think of a boat in a storm. What does it do? Cast out the anchor and then it can ride the storm. The anchor is to the rock. What does David say? He says here in this psalm, I will say unto God my rock. He's been honest with God. Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the... God hadn't forgotten them. The Lord knew all about his oppression of the enemy. The Lord knew about his state of mind and the state of heart. And in this psalm, as it finishes, he seeks the person of God. He says, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsted for God, for the living God. He's reminded of what took place in his past experience. The day he sought the Lord as redeemer and helper and friend. And you see, someone has rightly said, now he wants to re-enter that experience. Now he wants to grow in the intensity again of that experience. He wants more and more of the Lord. And depression can either wet or dull our thirst for God. And the Lord allows situations, circumstances, sufferings to drive us closer to him, to, to live in dependence of him. He calls God my God in verse 8. He talks about the God of my life. He talks in verse 4 of Psalm 43. He talks about unto God my exceeding joy. He sought the person of God very quickly. He sought the presence of God. He wanted to appear before God. Verse 2, he sought the help of his presence. That's tremendous. The Lord is with me. But it's also terrible in the sense we're not only with God, but walking with him and we're accountable to him. He seeks the praise of God. Praise is a command. It's not a feeling. He says in verse 8, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. The song drives away the darkness. Song drives away the difficulty. Paul and Silas sang praises unto God at midnight. He, 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 he seeks the precepts of God. God's truth and God's light. 
He wants God's word to guide him. He wants God's Holy Spirit to shine into his heart, to, to illuminate the way that he should go. He wants to seek the people of God again. He's thinking of the multitude that go into the house of God on the day of God. He no longer wants to avoid people. And you see people in despair, people in depression, want to avoid people. They don't want to go out. They're like the boy sitting in the bed with the hand cut off. They don't want to join with God's people. But it's important to join with God's people. And I would say in despair and feeling, even when you don't feel like going to the house of God, that's the time to come. Gather with God's people. Listen to what David said. For I had gone with the multitudes. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept the holy day. And that's what you ought to do because there's company in the people of God. Here's the counsel that he encourages. Seek the person of God. Seek his presence. Seek his praise. Seek his precept. But seek his people. Stand in solidarity with them. That's the remembrance that we need at this time. The recourse and the recollection of God when you're feeling in the depth of trouble and despair. The Lord bless you this morning.